Support for WAER Original Podcasts comes from California Closets of Syracuse, located in DeWitt. California Closets can help you get your entire home organized with custom design storage solutions for the home office, kitchen pantry, closets, and more. Online at californiaclosets.com. They are larger than life with bright costumes and massive muscles. They fly through the air and engage in epic battles, and occasionally they deliver grandiose monologues to underscore the morality of good versus evil, of us versus them. No, I'm not talking about the superheroes from Marvel or DC, but those costumed heroes who do their battle in the ring. Professional wrestling has been a mainstay of American popular culture since the 19th centuries, and it has produced such major cultural icons as Gorgeous George, Hulk Hogan, and Stone Cold Steve Austin. And over the past few years, we've seen some of those warriors in spandex stepping out of the ring and onto the silver screen, with professional wrestlers like Dwayne The Rock Johnson, John Cena, and David Bautista becoming reputable and bankable movie stars. While sometimes seen as a major cultural sensation and other times seen as just a bit silly, Professional wrestling continues to maintain a stranglehold on popular culture. I'm Kendall Phillips, host of Pop Life, and here to help me in this tag team bout is my friend, Dr. Stephen Grinelli. Professor Grinelli is a professor at Northeastern University who studies professional wrestling and popular culture. Steve, welcome to Pop Life. Thank you so much for having me, Kendall. I'm really excited to talk about this with you uh, for what I feel like is the upteenth time, uh, but now I get to do it for a larger audience. No, it's always fun to talk to you because, I, I, as I've probably said to you before, you know, I, I do remember being young and and watching some professional wrestling at that time. I think it was sort of major. It was you know kind of mainly regional. It was like North Texas professional wrestling, and I certainly was aware of the kind of explosion around Hulk Hogan and Andre the Giant and, and uh, you know, Randy the Macho Man Savage and all that sort of stuff. So, but, but from a historical perspective, you clearly have a, a deeper grasp of the history of professional wrestling. So I guess I want to start with, when did professional wrestling become professional wrestling? Like, when did it emerge as this particular kind of carnival spectacle? I think the spectacle aspect really came in the first uh, large national boom uh, when, you know, you mentioned Hulk Hogan, um, you know, in the 80s, but that's the first real kind of uh, referred to as kind of the first golden age of professional wrestling when um, it moved from those regional territories, like you mentioned, I imagine, you know, in North Texas, you were watching world class championship wrestling with the Von Erichs. Um, and, and, you know, they weren't really, they weren't, they weren't national sensations, but they were huge in the region. Uh, when Vince McMahon came along and the WWE came along and moved to a kind of national product, uh, invaded cable, uh, you know, really took really use the advent of cable to be able to put performers in everybody's homes across the country, instead of just seeing it regionally, and then was able to kind of cherry pick the best stars from all those different regional promotions and put them under one broad heading. And um, being, you know, Saturday morning product that was marketed towards kids uh, and, and having kind of bankable stars, Hulk Hogan being one of them, and then Andre the Giant, and then having great villains like Rowdy Roddy Piper at the time, they were able to create compelling stories that crossed over into the mainstream. Uh, there was a rock and wrestling boom in the mid eighties, Cindy Lauper got involved, but that's when, uh, you know, that, that's usually when, that's usually when people think of when you first mentioned professional wrestling, especially, you know, my age, um, that's kind of the first, uh, that's a lot of people's first public awareness 
of uh, it being so all-encompassing. It's just being, you know, kind of an ever-present part of popular culture. Yeah, it's a funny thing, you know, because as a kid growing up, it was the Von Erichs. That's exactly right. It was uh, Fritz and and Kevin and and the whole uh, family there. And yet I had no idea that this was not national. I mean, there was, there was no, it was on TV. So I assumed everyone in the world must have seen it. And yet, you know, it, it was clearly every region had their sort of professional wrestling. But I guess to kind of step back even a step further, one of the questions I've always wondered, and, and maybe you have some insights, is, you know, of all the professional sports, and there's all obviously a lot of spectacle, I think of like NFL, clearly there's a lot of spectacle around of the NFL or Major League Baseball or, or soccer, whatever it is. Um, but... I can't think of another sport that took the particular route of professional wrestling where I guess the spectacle became more important than the actual competition. So why did that happen with professional wrestling? Why did it become so much about big, larger-than-life figures and drama and soap opera and melodrama and not, spoiler alert to fans at home, not actually wrestlers competing to prove who's the best wrestler? I think it probably comes down to the fact that it was uh, at its heart, it was predetermined and it was a spectacle to begin with, as opposed to a sport needing to become a spectacle, a spectacle by being compelling with great athletes and great competition and ultimately a great game. Um, wrestling can kind of reverse engineer that by creating a character that is compelling and then creating or creating a protagonist and then creating an antagonist and then putting them in a position where now there's some personal issue, they can write the story and then they can write, (laughs) you know, they can, they can write out, they can script out uh, how the interaction between the protagonist and antagonist is going to go. And if they can read the audience in real time and say, okay, well, we're going to have to, you know, they're not connecting with the audience. We're going to have to do a little bit more, maybe more presentation, maybe change up their entrance music, maybe (laughs) uh, give them a different look, whatever it is. And then they can read the reaction of the audience to the performers, to the story, to what's going on in the ring and kind of change on a day-to-day, week-to-week, performer-to-performer or show-to-show basis. It, I, I would say it comes down to you're not really reliant on what's being provided to you in terms of the talent or the game. You're creating all of it. So you you just have to you're you're creating the spectacle. You're creating the stage. You're creating the show. You're presenting it to an audience and then you're getting real time feedback. And then you have an opportunity to make changes and try it again the next day or in the next town or the next week on TV. So it's it's all about the spectacle and and the and the instant feedback is are people watching are they buying tickets are they cheering are they booing are they engaged and I don't think there's kind of there there's that level of constant live feedback in a created medium um like there is in professional wrestling and like there was at the time I mean it, the easiest comparison was probably the circus honestly um traveling around town to town, different attractions and what hits and what doesn't and what works and what doesn't that we can change it before we go to the next town. I, I would say that's probably more akin to the presentation of professional wrestling. Yeah, it's interesting because it is almost like circus meets soap opera with a little bit of Shakespearean tragedy and comedy thrown oh, in, which again is, is so interesting to me because when I think of sports entertainment, the vast majority of sports entertainment is sports that is packaged to be entertaining. But at the end of the day, a baseball game is still nine innings. And right. you may have the most boring team on the planet, and they win 
because yeah. they score more runs. Or the same with football. You know, it, it, those years when the strong defensive team wins the Super Bowl and everybody wants right. the big spectacular quarterback to win, but it just doesn't happen because the defense does a better job. And yet, wrestling, professional wrestling at least, boiled out all that nonsense about actual competition to make it mainly about the melodrama. And so I'm wondering for fans, what's the attraction there? Like, why do they want to have this melodrama wrapped in sports, even though it's not really sports in the traditional competition on the field sort of way? I have been wrestling, haha, with that question for my entire watching life, uh, because I have been a fan for my entire life. And I've been consistently pressured as to why do you like this stuff? And uh, the answer changes. It could change throughout the two hours of a broadcast. It can be, well, that, that performer is very athletic and I can't believe what they're able to do in the ring. Yes. I know it's predetermined, but wait a minute these two that are going at each other, that kind of almost looks real. He might actually caught him with that shot. And like, they maybe don't really like each other. That performer over there, I know his contract is almost up. So I'm really looking to see like what, how, what his position is and his storyline and who are they going to give the belt to, or who's going to win it? Who's what young person is going to be looked at as the next centerpiece of the industry. There are so many different facets that of the presentation of sports entertainment outside of just, oh, it's, it used to just be dismissed. It's like, oh, it's a male soap opera. And it's like, well, it, yeah, but it's a soap opera because it's compelling characters presented with good stories. Hopefully they're not all great stories, but with good stories and told over a long period of time with no off season. At the one time soap opera is, is a good comparison is that Soap operas don't go on hiatus. They're, they're there for you every week. And so is wrestling. Wrestling doesn't take a hiatus. Wrestling doesn't, you know, it's 52 weeks a year. These performers are always out there. The stories are constantly going. Um, and it, it's very, it's very consistent. Uh, the lack of an off season probably hinders the health of a lot of athletes more than anything else. But for the viewer, it's dependable. Like it's a it's it's a base level of storytelling and entertainment and a block of hours that you're going to get every week um, that, you know, is going to be pleasing to a, a number or for a number of different reasons. So like I said, if it's the athleticism, it's the storytelling, if it's the behind the scenes stuff that might be going on, if you're a fan of, you know, my depth uh, that you're worried about contracts and like ratings and things like that. All of that stuff kind of allows you to engage your fandom at different levels. So professional wrestling, um, it, it's, it's, it's all of the above. And then I'm sure we'll get into this. There's also this added um, community aspect with professional wrestling. There's a very us versus them uh, with professional wrestling fans. We, we, probably, uh, we probably are much more willing to defend it than a lot of people are willing to defend their <laughs> fandom. <laughs> Uh, we, we want to rely on everybody else. Like wrestling Twitter is a big thing. Uh, we all get together on Mondays and Tuesdays and Wednesdays and Fridays and every odd Saturday and Sunday. And we're talking while the shows are on. And, um, it's, it, we're, we're kind of this self-sustaining organism, uh, that's, we're, 
yeah, we're, we're just always there. <laughs> I yeah. I, I'm, I'm vaguely, uh, a lot of the people I connect with on Twitter and social media are wrestling fans. And I, lo- I have nothing against wrestling. I want to be clear to all the folks listening. I don't want to uh, angry folks showing up at my Twitter feed. <laughs> um, but, but it, it, yeah, I absolutely feel that hardcore fan, but I do want to, before we talk to, uh, more, more about the kind of hardcore, the base, I am curious about those moments when professional wrestling breaks, if you will, mainstream. And it certainly seems like there have been moments when wrestling is everywhere and it's, you know, all across, as you say, it's in music, it's in television. You have wrestling uh, stars showing up in movies and TV shows and everybody knows who, say, Hulk Hogan is or everybody Mm. knows who Stone Cold Steve Austin is. Um, What are some of those golden eras and why do you think they emerged? Like what made that Hulk Hogan era such a huge era? I, the, the easy answer is that it is very cyclical and the, the, we look at kind of that Hulk, Hulk Hogan, rock and wrestling, Hulkamania era, whatever you want to call it, the kind of, uh, early to mid eighties as the first real big boom of professional wrestling. And the, and I think the, the crossover there, the crossover there was a result of an, a a wonderfully charismatic performer for the time. Um, Hulk Hogan was one of those transcendent talents who kind of embodied that, that real life cartoon Mm. nature um, that was, that was being pushed as the story. I mean, everything about wrestling at that time, national wrestling at that time. So WWE wrestling was very cartoonish. It was, it was very over the top geared towards kids. So you had Hulk Hogan, you know, telling kids to say their prayers and eat their vitamins (laughs) and, you know, always overcoming every new bad guy that was put in front of him and was built up for a year. And then there would be another, you know, and, and it was this also this kind of wonderful marriage between live event promotion and cable television, so you, you could build these wonderful spectacles of putting a new show in an arena, in a full arena every week and broadcasting that on TV. And it, lo- it looked great. It was, cheap, uh, it was cheap to produce. It was all over the place. And at the center of uh, at every show or at the end of every hour, you could have this you know big, huge, blonde, charismatic guy cutting a promo in the middle of the ring and then beating up the bad guy and posing for five minutes and sending everybody home happy. Um, the shtick only lasts so long. So the, <laughs> the, so that character kind of wore out, wore out their welcome and, and to his credit reinvented himself a few different times and kind of came back into prominence during the next boom period, which would be the Monday night wars. Uh, that was WWE having main competition with another company, WCW. And that's late nineties, late nineties into early two thousands. Um, the the kind of competition between them, that's when you saw the rise of The Rock and Stone Cold Steve Austin and kind of the people who are more in the general conversation of, of now, I would say. Like, I would say uh, Hulk Hogan lands with, I don't know if Hulk Hogan lands with a 13, 14, 15-year-old, but I would say that the, the 13, 14, 15-year-old, they know who The Rock is. Um, sure. I think everybody on the planet knows who The Rock is at this point. Yeah, right? they, they, they certainly will. But it's interesting we'll perspective. They, we'll see if everybody knows who he is in 2028. Well, that's a, after he's won his Academy Award for his uh, <laughs> whatever he's going to be doing. But So it's an interesting point you make, and I do think this is something that even a casual observer like myself, but also probably some fans maybe don't fully grasp, 
are the kind of complex industrial terrain. So as you already suggested, you know, there was a period where wrestling was very regional and there were regional stars and they were on regional television. They had regional events and maybe some people like Andre the Giant sort of toured across those different regions, but it was very regional. Then along comes uh, what was first, I guess, WWF and then WWE to start to consolidate that. So I wonder if you can talk a little bit about that tension between, you know, this period where everything was consolidated by one company and then these periods where there's competition with other companies. That consolidation period was, a, I mean, that was a very rocky time uh, be only because at the same time that it was being consolidated, all the top stars were being stolen, not stolen is a terrible way to put it, but they were being <laughs> offered a lot of money uh, by Vince McMahon to come work for them. So you, it wasn't as much as these territories willingly saying like, yeah, we'll close up shop. It was, they were bled dry of their talent and they all went to um, WWF at the time. So it became this kind of, kind of eponymous one, one, you know, promotion for all. Uh, but there was another promotion that was still kind of chugging along and it was in the South. Um, and for a long time, there were only two real companies. There was WWF, which operated in the North. It was called New York. And then people would refer to Atlanta, which would be WCW world championship wrestling that operated mainly in the South. Um, and that's where the, the main split was Hulk Hogan up North and Ric Flair, uh, mm-hmm. down South. Um, and those two companies coexisted. They were competition. WWE was clearly number one and more national. WCW was still regional, but held their sway. But after the Monday Night Wars, WWE bought WCW. WCW lost. And uh, then there was just one company for a very long time. <laughs> now, did that were, help uh, to promote? Did that increase? Or it seems to me like that lack of competition would maybe make the company lazy. But what was the effect they, of that consolidation? The effect of the consolidation was what we see is a real kind of down period uh, for wrestling at the time. I mean, when, when I say it operates cyclically, um, there was a time where they were they were just sustaining. Like the, the fan base was not growing. The fan base had, had lessened after the competition was over. They were doing everything they could to try to create competition within, creating two brands under, you know, the WWE heading. They said, oh, we're going to fight against ourselves. And nobody bought it. Um <laughs> But it was uh, it, it was a it, it was just a it was just subsistence uh, is the best way I can put it. Uh, still doing ratings, still you know, still able to stay on TV and have deals and still and stay consistent and uh, not necessarily sell out arenas, but still have national tours. Uh, it was it, it still was existing. I was still a fan, but it definitely wasn't part of the national conversation at any point. I would say in the late. To in late 2000s, early 2010s, like not there wasn't a, there weren't a whole lot of people talking about wrestling during that time. And if they were talking about wrestling, it was for a bad reason. It was because uh, somebody had passed away. It was because of uh, it was because of a, the Chris Benoit incident, which your the listeners can go Google because I don't want to get too much into it. Sure. Uh, but there was a lot of there, there was a lot that was going on that was that was negative. Um and it wasn't until kind of a, I, I would say right around, um, I would go back to maybe around 2014, 15, uh, where the, it, it started kind of a, a new gloss was put back on WWE. They, they were starting to run very, very large uh, shows. WrestleMania was taking place in football stadiums. It was, 
uh, people worked Forbes magazine was starting to tout, you know, the economic impact of bringing a WWE event to your, to, you know, to your region Um, (laughs) rights deals that were being signed by WWE with, with NBC universal, with Fox uh, WWE creating their own network, the WWE network, one of the first streaming services Um, that though it was moments like that, that brought wrestling back into the national conversation, much less any story that crossed over any one performer that crossed over. It was more just about the, the business of wrestling. Yeah. Cause it's an enormous amount of money. And certainly we, we saw that with, you know, Vince McMahon becoming sort of this larger than life figure as a kind mm-hmm. of tycoon or, or mogul, uh, you know, as, as this brilliant business strategist, um, but where are we now? Are we still in an era where there is a single, only the WWE, or are we starting to see new competitors on the horizon? Well, wonderful to say that we are, I, I would I would suggest we are entering in a new golden era uh, oh. or a new cycle of popularity in wrestling directly. Folks, you heard it on Pop Life first. The new golden did. era of wrestling is starting right now. I want you an exclusive. Did. So and why I'm is that? I'm not biased at all. I'm not biased at all by being a fan. Um, there, there's a new promotion that is, uh, three years old. It's called all elite wrestling. Um, and it has, it has taken the WWE on, um, head first. It, it, they, it has been, it's been wildly successful in it's three years. Um, it airs on TBS and TNT, which is used to be where WCW used to air, uh, TBS and TNT have a long history of wrestling. And when, AEW was created by uh, Tony Khan, and Tony Khan is a um, is the general manager of the Jacksonville Jaguars, son of Shad Khan. Um, they also own a Premier League team, so that they, they are they have the financial backing to to uh, to I guess to say to to rival Vince McMahon to say <laughs> the least. Um, and they had things that other kind of smaller there were smaller wrestling promotions that existed in the meantime, but. They have national television distribution. They have a lot of money behind them, and they have a roster full of wrestlers that is uh, second to. I wouldn't even. I mean, you could make the argument that they have a better roster of wrestlers uh, than WWE does. Um, I would say the last one of the last performers that really crossed over in that period, in that down period where nobody was talking about wrestling. For a small point, there were a lot of people talking about wrestling, and it was because of CM Punk. I don't know if that name. Uh, I have heard that name. We have heard that. You've heard that yes. name. You've heard that the, name. Yes. The folks so, in the booth are giving me the big nod, saying we're oh, we're good, big fans. Good, I guess. Okay. okay. Uh, very famously walked out of WWE uh, at you know what one could argue was the height of his popularity and and was fired um, and then just kind of swore off wrestling and wanted to go be a UFC fighter. Did not do very well. Uh, tried his hand at acting a little bit. There were rumors that he might come back to WWE. And this past summer, um, he was signed to AEW and that was a, that was a, that was a big deal in wrestling. Everybody was talking about it. I mean, when WWE performers are commenting on Twitter about another company signing a wrestler, uh, that it's a big deal. (laughs) So the, the competition between the two extends into fandom. It extends into ratings. It extends into all aspects. You have the. You have Tony Khan, who's like the younger upstart taking shots at WWE every now and again. And 
talking about, you know, if he signs somebody that WWE released, you know, releasing a statement saying, I can't believe this person was available. How could you not make money with this talent? Watch what I do with them. Um, it's, it's, it's very interesting. Um, there's a lot more intrigue now, especially if you're a, if you're a fan that likes the business aspect and likes wondering when contracts are coming up and who's going to jump from one side to the other. Um, it, it adds a little bit of surprise, uh, and it adds, you've seen storytelling, uh, in both companies get a lot more, a lot more interesting, a lot better, uh, over the last year. So we are, we're in an era where the stories and the performances are as good as they've ever been. Um, and there's no sign of that slowing down anytime soon. So I'm curious if I were to sit down and watch an episode, I guess we could call it of AEW versus an mm-hmm. episode of uh, WWE, would I notice any difference? Is, is, is one like, does it have different themes or is it younger or, or would they basically seem like the same product, just different owners? I would say to the, to a first time viewer, they definitely would seem there, there would be a ton of similarities. And I would say 90% you would see as similar. Um, in, well, there's one very marked difference in AEW. They, it, you're much more likely to see blood. Um, <laughs> it, you're, you're the, it's, it's not advertised as a more mature product, but it clearly is intended at, you know, male 18 to 49. Um, and, you know, there's, the, there's some cursing, there's a lot that they get away with on TBS and TNT that is kind of even, you know, kind of makes you, you know, c- kind of tilt your head a little bit, even though you're watching, even though you're watching it on cable. Hmm. Whereas WWE is still kind of maintaining a more um, uh, audience centered at, I would say children, but it's not really children. I would say le- earlier teens. Um, and so to the to the viewer, maybe you might say like, oh, this one seems a little bit more AEW seems a little bit more, for lack of a better term, reality based. Uh, WWE's characters are a little bit more um, on the nose. Uh, <laughs> they're 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 a little bit more paint by numbers, uh, a little bit simpler. Um, whereas there's a lot more there's a lot more long term storytelling in AEW. You get rewarded for being a fan over a long period of time. So I might notice something watching an AEW um, event that you watching for the first time, you don't notice, but it doesn't turn you off for any reason. You don't feel like you're left out. I just feel satisfied. It's it's like you mentioned Marvel in the beginning. It would be like my girlfriend and I sit down and I force her to watch all the Marvel movies, bless her heart. (laughs) But I'm picking up Easter eggs and I'm doubly enjoyed. She's missing them, but she's just as enjoyed or enjoying it just as much. Um, I just get this other little kind of reward, uh, you know, for for being a fan as long as I have. AEW does that fan service a little bit more. Uh, WWE feels like they're always talking to somebody who's watching for the first time. Yeah, that's interesting. So I'm curious about that those longer term narratives, and, I, and I've always wanted. So now that I have an expert on, on the show, I can ask this question. So, <laughs> so as as a just a kind of outside casual observer, there have been times when it's all seemed a bit, uh, oh, let's call it over the top. So I think about like the Undertaker, who was supposedly an undead corpse brought back to life, who, as I remember, at one point fought himself as a like a demonic <laughs> doppelganger, Undertaker versus Undertaker. So I'm wondering, you know. 
some of these things are just like people being mad or stealing a romantic partner or upsetting or offending. But some of them have been brainwashing robots, uh, demonic spirits, undead corpses. Are there limits for the wrestling fan who say, okay, that's now goofy? Or are people willing, for the most part, to go with whatever storyline somebody concocts for either AEW or WWE? I think, okay, I think what's interesting is that we, and I'll say we as wrestling fans, we have a kind of suspension of disbelief, but to a point, if there is something that is so ridiculous that we know that even the 13-year-old in front of us, the 10-year-old or the five-year-old is going to look at us and go like, can you explain this to me? And we can't (laughs) explain it then we are not like we are not going to respond we're not going to cheer we're not going to boo we're not going to give it the attention that that maybe it was intended and when something like that happens it's very interesting to see the response mm. like the response week to week so if there is some sort of fantastical story and there there i'm i'm thinking in my head there have recently been ones in WWE just like that you know there was a I'm not going to get too into the weeds in terms of one, but there was a there was a very well-liked character named Bray Wyatt who was kind of presented as a, he was kind of like a cult leader, but it was never said out loud he was a cult leader. He just kind of, you know, it was like if you just finished the season of True Detective, this character really hit with you. Um, <laughs> you know, and he, was, and he was great and then went away for a little while and then came back, came back as this new persona called The Fiend that everybody knew it was Bray Wyatt and he was kind of playing both of these characters, but the fiend was a very demonic, like wore almost like a, a Joker style mask um, and was seemingly, you know, like unbeatable and in, and indestructible. And, and people were very interested. They were like, all right, let's see what happens. Let's see where this goes. They were invested in this kind of overly fantastical story. And he lost to a wrestler named Goldberg, who was almost 60 years old um, and everybody went, well, that was stupid. Why did I pay attention? <laughs> and they got, they're just, I mean, that was the collective kind of like fan base just were like, well, wait a minute. Why did I, I gave you my suspension of disbelief and that's what you did with it. And no. I would like it back now. Can I have and my I suspension would absolutely of disbelief like it back? back? And then when you bring this character back to me, or you try another one of these, we are going to roll our eyes and we're going to boo and we're going to say, we're going to chant boring and we're going to tell anybody else who looks like they're interested in this, like, ah, don't worry about it. They're going to, you know, he's going to lose in five minutes anyways. It, 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 a lot of it has to do with, is are we going to be satisfied by either the characters or the story? And if we're not going to be satisfied by the characters, the story, then we won't give in. Um, I, I will admit, like, I am much more likely to give in. I, I'm much more likely to suspend my disbelief, to allow it to just be this kind of like fantastical, strange moment because it's not going to be, it's not going to last for two hours. Like the, if the show is two hours or if the show is three hours, it's probably going to be five to seven minutes. And then they're going to go to commercial, come back with another segment and might be something that I like. So every single one of these things that might be a little bit ridiculous, it's not going to be ridiculous for the whole time. So uh, there's, there's many concurrent storylines that are going on at the same time. So if, if you don't like something, then, you know, Fast forward, get some popcorn. So speaking of fast forward, so uh, as, a, as a scholar who studies professional wrestling, and I think that that's worth underscoring, not just a fan, but, but a serious scholar here, where do you it. see the future of wrestling going? We've had these cycles. We've had consolidation and competition. Are there 
innovations for the future you think are going to really change the face of professional wrestling, or will we continue to see kind of the same cycles moving into the future? I, I think we're entering we're entering to a, a very interesting era for a couple of reasons, and the first reason is streaming. Um, now, WWI, I mean WWE has a deal with uh, Peacock. They signed a one billion dollar rights agreement um, for Peacock to stream all of their uh, they're called premium live events. They used to be called pay-per-views, but um, Peacock Air, like they, they're kind of the home for all past WWE content. You can go stream anything that WWE has produced for God knows how many years. Um, plus all, all of their new programming. If you're, if you wanted to watch something that airs on Monday night, you would have to wait a couple of weeks and then it shows up on Peacock. So if you could get all of their content via streaming, AEW doesn't have a streaming deal as of yet. There are some streamers out there that are desperate for live content and the kind of audiences that wrestling can provide. I am very interested to see what happens in the next few years as these television deals start to expire. And if Netflix were to say, wow, we need something like this, like we need appointment television that we know that people are going to be here for five hours a week. So do they throw a boatload of money at AEW or WWE and create some kind of like, you know, hybrid rights deal that, yes, you'll be able to air on our platform, plus you'll be able to air over cable or whatever. So yeah, that seemed like in a streaming era where content is king, but also you don't have to have massive numbers. You're, you're not needing a, a nationwide massive spectacle event if you've got a hardcore base of fans that will consistently show up for most streamers that is that's that's gold that's what they want and so it does seem like a good a move for the, on their part what's funny to me is that the wwe network which was a it was an all digital streaming service it at the time that it launched it had to be modeled off of mlb tv because there weren't any streamers <laughs> that were operating at the they were operating at the volume that wwe needed to kind of, uh, they needed to assume how many people were going to be watching. So they couldn't look at, Netflix wasn't doing live broadcasting plus hosting. So they had to look for somewhere and they had to, you know, lean on the creators of MLB TV to figure out how their streaming network was going to run. It was great. It was wonderful. It kept going up and up in terms of subscribers. But then when the, when Peacock came along and said, let us buy all of your content, we'll host it. That was a no brainer. Uh, they could just shut it down which, you know, to the chagrin of many WWE fans, they did. Um, but that was that that was kind of a they, they were a real pioneer in terms of let's have our own streamer. Let's host all of our content. And we think that'll be enough uh, to keep it sustainable. And it was. I'm very interested to see what happens with AEW in that space as well. Like, will they will they will they get will they partner up with a streamer right now? They're working with Bleacher Report Live to air they also do these premium live events these these pay-per-view events about four times a year four or five times a year um you can get those on bleach report live or on fight the fight network uh, which is they're functional but if there was a one-stop shop for all of their content plus all their past content plus any original programming that they wanted to put or they wanted to do that doesn't isn't going to air on television they're both of these companies are content machines um i mean when you're talking about their i mean they're running between the two of them, it's over 10 hours of content every week. Uh, that's that's a lot. 
that is <laughs> and amazing. Produced, yeah, that that that's a lot in terms of you know, oh wow, like we could have all of this that our this dedicated base of fans can go to. Yeah, that that I could see how that would be marketable. Well, Professor Steve Grinnell, you have been a content machine for us. You have given us an amazing <laughs> perspective on this uh, kind of ever-present part of pop culture that, as I said, you know, sometimes it's everywhere, and other times you're kind of vaguely aware it's on some cable channel somewhere. Uh, but we greatly appreciate your insights. Now, as regular listeners of Pop Life know, we don't just have our expert guests on to give us their expertise. We also like to dig a little under the surface to find out about their pop culture interests and loves, and we begin that segment with a little game, Steve we call the Fast Five. So I'm going to ask you five questions, give you an either-or choice. I'm going to ask you to follow your heart and uh, and make your choices, beginning with question number one. Steve, which do you think was the greater WWF event moment? Was it Hulk Hogan body-slamming Andre the Giant at WrestleMania 3 or Donald Trump versus Vince McMahon at WrestleMania 23? Hulk Hogan slamming Andre the Giant because we do not acknowledge that the second happened. <laughs> We'll just leave that there with no further comment. Question number two for you, Steve. Which late-night talk show host had the better turn in the ring? Was it Jon Stewart, who betrayed John Cena at 2015 SummerSlam, or Jay Leno, who defeated Hulk Hogan in the On the Road Wild special? Oh, those are... I have to say Jon Stewart, only because he, he was only involved for a short period of time. Jay Leno worked an entire match and and at one point had Hulk Hogan in an arm bar and Hulk Hogan was on his knees like with his hand up saying like please don't hurt me anymore and the collective audience just went you got to be kidding me it did seem a little improbable but thus is the world we live in question number three for you Steve which featured bout would you most like to see would it be Dr. Anthony fighting Fauci versus raging Senator Rand Paul or would it be Pete Davidson versus Kanye West. Which bout would you like to see? Fauci versus Rand Paul. Uh, especially, I know Rand Paul probably would have his ribs still taped up. Um, <laughs> so I know Fauci would know exactly where to go for him. He had that one. Oh, that'd be a great match. I would promote that. I think that could be on C-SPAN. I think I'm very excited about that. Question <laughs> number four for you, Steve. Who would you more like to face in the ring? Would you like to face Jake the Snake Roberts? Or would you prefer to face Randy the Macho Man Savage? Oh, Randy Savage, 100%. That that was my, everybody else was a Hogan fan. I was a Savage fan. Uh, yeah, I, that would be, um, just right now I'm thinking about taking the, taking that elbow from the top rope and I know it wouldn't, it wouldn't hurt a bit, uh, but it would look amazing. <laughs> so speaking of which, finally question number five, when you get ready to get in the ring, which would be your wrestling moniker? Would it be Steve, the professor of pain Grinelli? Or Steve, the scrapping scholar Grinelli? Which would you choose as your wrestling moniker? I might have to go with the scrapping scholar. The professor thing has been done a couple of times, but I think the scrapping scholar would work as well. There's a there, there's, an, there's another wrestler, uh, and he refers to himself as Smart Mark Sterling. And in my head, I was just like, what a great way. Like, why can't I just be Smart Steve? I want to be introduced in class that way. I think we could I think we could work that out. We'll get you on Peacock with your own special. <laughs> so, Steve, uh, you certainly have a great love for wrestling. But are there other things in pop culture you love, things you're listening to, watching, binging? What else are you loving about pop culture at this moment? Uh, I am a self-professed, you know, pop culture geek, and I try to I, I'm trying to watch as much as I possibly can. Um, I'm very invested in the old man. Uh -huh. um, 
I'm very invested in the old man. I am. I have some. I have guilty pleasures as well. There's a new season of Married at First Sight. I uh, can't wait for that. <laughs> That's really on the opposite end. Um, let's see. What else am I watching? Uh, oh, I'm. I really. I ripped through all of the founder shows one right after the other. So um, the you know super pumped uh, battle for Uber and then um, the we crashed and then also uh, the Elizabeth Holmes. Uh, I forget the name of it with Amanda Seyfried, yeah, yeah. but um, one after another, those were all wonderful, but uh, really all, all new content I'm a fan of, and I'm trying to watch all of it across the board. So um, if, if anybody wants to follow me on Twitter at, at Steve Grinelli, you will see uh, what I'm watching and when I'm watching and how I feel about it. Cause I cannot keep my mouth shut. Well, that's what we love about you, Steve. Really appreciate you being on here and not keeping your mouth shut. And I'll <laughs> remind our listeners, if you have comments, questions, or suggestions for future episodes, you can reach out to us on social media. We are at pop life, W A E R on both Twitter and Instagram. And remember when pop culture has you pinned, Pop Life is always in your corner. I will see you next time. Thanks for listening to Pop Life, a production of WAER, Syracuse Public Media. You can find archived episodes at waer.org. And don't forget to subscribe in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen for automatic delivery of new episodes. Thank you.